Perhaps we could begin this morning just with a bit of meditation before any words um, and some uh, gratitude for the rain, which we've needed so badly, uh, and for a a nice warm and dry place for ourselves. Let's start again. Um, Rick, would you close that door? I think that's. Um, let's start again with uh, that simple chant of ah for a few minutes as a way of connecting ourselves, and then we'll just sit. <clears throat> So, again, I'd like to welcome you to this second day of our (coughs) gathering on monastic life. Um, We're we're blessed with the rain. Maybe it's the angels that follow, monks and nuns that have uh, brought it along for us. Um, And I'm very grateful to this church, which has been Uh, over a number of years now, um, uh, uh, support for the Buddhist meditation community. I hold classes here weekly, um, and this morning the uh, minister very graciously uh, offered to move their church service from this room into the chapel on the other side of the church so that we might use this space. So they're, they're really wonderful. They do many fine things here at this church, and just wonderful people. Um, 
So yesterday, the intention of the day, and I think uh, quite successfully, was to begin to uh, speak about the joys and the spirit uh, that informs a monastic life, why one would choose it, and how uh, to understand the living under vows or in a uh, monastery or a cloister or a nunnery. Um, Today, based on that understanding, we'd like to continue to uh, open up the discussion further, uh, having the initial ground of a sense of monastic life to address the questions of monastic life at this time and and the end of the 20th century um, in our Western society and the kinds of changes that have been made or might be made or the issues that come up around it. Brother David, in a conversation that we had um, recently, uh, the other day when I was asking him about his own monastic order in life, said that there had probably been more changes in the uh, rule of St. Benedict as it was followed in the actual living of the monks in the last 40 years, more than in the previous 1,000 or 1,500. So for their uh, tradition, for his tradition, there has been uh, a great um, addressing of changes. I'd like to read you a poem, if I may, one of my favorites from Kabir, the wonderful Indian poet. He says, Friend, please tell me what I can do about this world I hold to and keep spinning out. I gave up sewn clothes and wore a robe, but one day I noticed how well woven was its cloth. So I bought some burlap, but still I throw it elegantly over my left shoulder. I pulled back my sexual longings, and now I discover that I'm angry a lot. I gave up rage, and now I notice that I'm greedy all day. I worked hard at dissolving the greed, and now I'm proud of myself. <laughs> when the mind wants to break its links with the world, it still holds on to something. Kabir says, listen, my friends, there are very few that find the path, yet it is right here in front of us. In beginning uh, to consider monastic life in our time. Uh, Just a few comments, and then I'll take, as I suggested, some uh, questions and concerns from you as a group. Um, Part of the genesis of this this gathering came uh, several years ago when we were first uh, making a plan for the Spirit Rock Center and included it in a monastery. or a hermitage. And when we did, in our own community, there was almost immediately uh, a great, um, uh, I'm not quite sure the right word, there was, a, there was a lot of discussion and concern and strong feelings that arose. Um, will the roles for men and women be equal, or will it be sexist? Will the uh, relations of of monks and lay people be uh, hierarchical in a way that the uh, lay people have to uh, do things they don't want to to take care of monks or nuns. Um, um, There was a kind of storm that arose from that. Uh, 
much of it out of uh, a lack of understanding. Many of the people who raised those questions had really very little understanding themselves of what monastic life is like (coughs) or its purpose. Um, And so in one way, just to gather together as we have, is to begin to to begin to hear what the foundation of monastic life is. But in addition, there were some questions raised of them that are very uh, um, alive, not just for the people that raised them, but in many monastic communities, and that are of issues or concerns for people um, as they, for Buddhist practice, and apparently for Christian practice as well, uh, as as they and we try to establish and support this, the beauty of monastic life um, in our time and in our culture. Um, <clears throat> as one further uh, side comment, um, what I experienced yesterday from the speakers and the discussions was uh, an expression of the best of monastic life. Uh, that is, uh, people speaking who had um, both a deep commitment and um, a deep understanding and love of that way of life. Uh, This in itself um, is not uh, so usual, at least in the Buddhist tradition. It's possible to go to Buddhist countries where there are literally thousands of monasteries, 30, 40,000 monasteries in Southeast Asia, and only find one monastery in 50, or more, or one in 100, where there's really good practice and deep understanding of monastic life. There are lots of ways that it's been misused. People who are frightened of the world um, run away thinking that the monastery will save them, much like that poem that I read, only to find that... Uh, Wherever they go, there they are. Um, or uh, monasteries that are purely run on ceremony or uh, to fulfill some ritual. Or monasteries that have attracted, um, uh, to use current California parlance, um, so many wounded people that they become a recreation of dysfunctional families. Uh, Um, That's not so much what we've been addressing here, because if there is uh, a wise abbot or a wise community of elders, uh, those things which are real concerns for for healthy monasticism, um, who comes in and what their motivation might be and how uh, the monastic life is used, um, are some of the primary things to be addressed. But it seems important to say that in the context of this conference, just to acknowledge that, in a way, what we're looking at is um, a deeper and and wiser vision than you might encounter in your run-of-the-mill monastery. Um, And I'd like to extend that one thing further before taking the questions from you all. And that is, as we consider the issues and questions around monasticism at this point um, in, in this weekend, um, to keep in mind a spirit of uh, the, the deepest vision that can be fulfilled um, and the most uh, 
wonderful or wise way uh, that we, or you and I individually, um, can relate to uh, monastic life and monastic form uh, so that we don't get stuck in some ways in polarizing or, or kind of petty problem solving so that the issues that we discuss are grounded really in the Dharma itself or in, in the spiritual life uh, um, and in the, the deepest purpose of all of our spiritual practice. And from that place, I think anything can be looked at um, and addressed uh, honestly and fruitfully. Um. <clears throat> so what I'd like to do now before uh, Sister Sundra and Brother David speak is to just open it up and ask you to say out loud the kinds of questions that you have, what was left from yesterday, uh, things you'd like us to continue to speak on, if something moved you or touched you and you wanted to hear more about it, if there are concerns that, that you have that were brought up or issues that brought you to this, to this weekend that you'd like to raise, um, just to put them all out so that we can all together hear them and they can be part of the background of what we uh, speak to today. Please. I'd like to hear more discussion of celibacy and the importance of celibacy in, in cultivating liberation. Um, particularly as, as that relates to the other paradigm that as Westerners we have, which is the psychological Western paradigm of the need to fulfill yourself and uh, the role of cultivating intimacy as part of that. Can people hear his question pretty well? Good. Uh, he, he asked that we uh, address the issue of celibacy and of uh, how to work with that, particularly in relation to the opposite Western paradigm of, from some Western psychology of uh, fulfilling your sexuality and cultivating intimacy through that. And also, um, since I have a Zen background, I've seen this kind of third model of a priesthood, a non-celibate priesthood. And I've heard them talk about how as ordained people who are still uh, engaged in basically romantic relationships, how that is even better for them than celibacy. Mm. So as a Zen practitioner, uh, having the middle ground of, of, of lay priests who are ordained with a lay ordination but also have relationships and how to consider those three possibilities. Others, please, speak as loud as you can so others can hear. I'd like to address the possibility of uh, both Christian Buddhist uh, monasteries or practice centers. Um, in other words, the combination, we see each other here divided, but I'm wondering uh, about the possibilities of bringing people together. Okay, thank you. Reading the book Sakyadita about daughters of the Buddha, it's obvious that women aren't always given the same spiritual opportunity, either monastic or otherwise. And in the monastic communities, I wonder if, even within the hierarchical structure, how it's being worked out so that, in fact, gender becomes irrelevant in the spiritual, in the spiritual opportunities. So addressing the spiritual opportunities for 
an equality for men and women. Um, I'm especially interested in the adaptation of traditional monasticism to 20th century American life, especially in regard to women. As a kind of extension of that, um, a general mindfulness of how not to replicate, because we don't pay attention to what we're doing, the um, not just about women, but all the unconsciousnesses that are in our that are our cultural heritage, and that it really takes quite a lot of effort to overcome when you're supposedly focused on something that's quote spiritual. Um, what uh, was said about being polarizing or petty details, these consciousnesses often manifest themselves that way. And if we try to flee those experiences, I think they just remain undealt with. Just to follow with that, um, what I noticed yesterday is that um, when a question was asked, it was often, often as if we were talking from two different worlds. That. Uh, the, uh, when the word, when the question comes from the relative reality plane, if it's answered from the plane of ultimate reality and everything is referred to, well, ultimately there's really no difference between men and women. So therefore, the question is not real. Mm. So I think we have to, as we talk today, be aware that be aware when we do that, and that most of us live here in relative reality. <laughs> Did, could people hear that in the back? Uh, she said that yesterday in the discussion, um, uh, there were questions that were asked, uh, for example, about the relations of men and women in Buddhist monasticism, and that there were two levels operating. A question would be asked about the differences, and then a, a response or, or some other part of the discussion would come from a more ultimate level, that from the, um, the ultimate or or deepest spiritual point of view, uh, there is no difference between men and women. Um, and to be clear that there are both of those levels operating, and not to use one uh, and ignore the other, but somehow to see how in our discussions to connect both the, the deepest spiritual level and the relative reality that we all um, enjoy together. Is that correct? And, and yes, and just that any one of us, in my own experiences, when I was very identified and a part of that of, of, a, of a spiritual center, I saw things from that place, and the other were, actually had no reality to me. So uh, I understand where, they, where the answer is coming from. And for her, who had also lived in spiritual communities for many years, the, um, she lived in a place where there was no difference for a while, and then and saw it from that point of view, and then had a different experience later that that, that solely staying in that level didn't serve her well, or something like that. So keep keep that, anyway, open discussion, please. Yes, and I'd like to take somewhat of a continuation of these, uh, these questions. It has to do with the ideas of class, color, and the caste systems within which we've all been a part. I find that same evasion, the same issues around gender are also around economic and um, caste and so forth like that. And I noticed someone said yesterday that uh, the community that they were developing did not have ethnicity, was not ethnic. And uh, I found that quite interesting. 
um, since I think we all have ethnicity um, and we're all different, and we're all diverse. <coughs> I mean, even within essentially a white group, which essentially Buddhism seems to be present in, in the Bay Area. And so those are the questions that I would like to see. Thank you. Donald? Hi. The um, possibility of developing lake communities, both uh, residential or non-residential, more like Spirit Rock in some ways, that would, that would have some of the intensity and the joys that were described yesterday. And, the, and but yet would have as the, the field of spiritual work or spiritual development being work and family and social engagement and so on. So the possibility of developing communities that might be in dialogue and really learn from monastic traditions, but be somewhat of a different form. And please. I've been very confused for a long time about all the confusion. And just this minute, it dawned on me that it seems to be that the problem in the United States, at least, is that we want it all. We want monasticism, we want enlightenment, we want sex, we want balance. And I'd like you to address that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait till the laughter dies down so you can be heard. Please. Let's see, on a slightly different track, uh, I'd be interested in a uh, concrete uh, picture of uh, daily life in the uh, Buddhist communities in England for the male and female uh, monks, lay people, and visitors. Uh, more of a Okay, the daily life in, in that monastery for monks and nuns and lay people. Yvonne. Um, related to that, I'm very interested in what Achan Sumedho said yesterday about the community in England, making the relationship of support, daily begging practice, clarifying the relationship between the monastic and the lay uh, community, then as an extension of that, how does the lay community participate with the monastic order in their particular uh, situation? The second thing that came up for me yesterday in our, one of our discussion groups was a discussion about intimacy. And in the discussion, we were talking about intim intimacy in terms of sexual intimacy. And what has sat as a kind of burr for me since then is that uh, it was an incomplete discussion because my experience, particularly in a retreat format, is that there is a kind of intimacy one experiences in spiritual life which is not, ex which is not necessarily tied to sexuality. And I would love to see us talk about that a little bit in the wider group of us if we could. Because I think we tend to uh, equate intimacy with sexuality, and that doesn't fit with my experience, and I just wonder if any of the rest of us are 
interested in talking about that issue because I think it relates to the question about as Americans do we want it all and what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Just a couple more. Go ahead. Um, this is addressed to Brother David. I was wondering a meeting like this, how the PC looks at a meeting like this, because I always get the idea that if you're Catholic, then everything over there is on the other side of the fence. I know this is part of the economical movement, but still yesterday it came up, someone mentioned the fact of the meditative process and that the Pope had, through Ratzinger I guess, had said something that it wasn't for Catholics, it was wrong. So uh, I was just wondering how the papacy, the institutional church, is looking at a meeting like this. Are you, are you violating? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Uh, my question has to do more like with practice, you know, like uh, it seems like uh, Christians are borrowing a lot uh, of uh, I, it's addressed to Brother David, actually, uh, in the terms of borrowing from uh, Buddhism uh, for meditative uh, practices, for a discipline, and so on. Uh, and in Christianity, there have been a lot of practices, too, and a lot of uh, ways of meditating and of, and, and of um, having a spiritual discipline. So uh, what, what does it mean that a lot of Christians are having to borrow from, from Buddhism. Thank you. Let's take a few more. Just go ahead. Um, I was interested, um, Mother Columba talked yesterday about um, that good health was required for monastic training. And uh, in my experience uh, in my monastic training at Tassajara, when I had breast cancer and I had to um, leave for a while and then come back, um, it was very difficult, and in fact, it, I would probably end up leaving because um, the cold and the long hours is very difficult to continue when you're not really, really strong. And so for people who, um, in our tradition, although monasticism is a very important component of our training, it's not a lifelong commitment to that particular form. And I'm very interested in how people uh, who make a lifelong commitment to monastic training deal with the kind of um, uh, the bodily, you know, what happens with your body and how you can actually sustain that kind of environment, what schedules people have, what, how people actually deal with it. So how someone who has a lifelong vow and then gets sick in some serious way, um, how is that dealt with, especially in very taxing monastic communities where you're expected generally to live under difficult conditions. Is there a difference between, um, I, I'm not familiar with the schedules of people who, you know, in Japanese training because you do a few years usually, mm. or then you do another kind of priestly activity. Mm. So I'm not sure if there's a difference uh, between that kind of training schedule and, and a lifelong schedule. I'm kind of interested in mm -hmm. Please. Um, I was interested in uh, Brother David's comments yesterday about adopting, say, the priesthood, making a profession out of that religious part of, uh, of one's life. And um, 
the problem that I find when I go to monasteries is that I'm expected by because of the institution of the monastery to adopt sort of to get the support of the monastery I need to adopt you know the, um, the forms of the institution and as someone that that doesn't sit right with I find that the support is there to a point that it's always lacking unless I'm prepared to make a full commitment to that particular order. I wonder if some of the people here could address the attitude of their particular monastery to people who like to come and stay, um, but who are pursuing their own sort of homeless path with, without the uh, full-time shelter of a particular monastery. Mm -hmm. Explanation of hi the hierarchy and in the different traditions, please. Yeah, I'd like to hear a discussion of kind of bridging some of these questions about intimacy, sexuality, celibacy, and um, body. Yesterday, um, both sexuality and the intake of food were discussed in a couple of discussion groups that I was in, and I'm interested in. The what the relationship to the body is in terms of relating to it in, on an intimate, interpersonal level, but non-sexual. Hmm. The relationship to the body. Okay, a couple more, and then we will stop, please. I have a question related to what you just asked that I was embarrassed to ask, but it, it really is related. And um, I was wondering if there are any statistics on that match up men, men in middle age frequently will have prostate problems. Um, I wondered if there is some kind of statistics on monastic life, whether that's less or more. I think that would be very mm -hmm. interesting relative to the diseases of, the yeah, <laughs> the kind of epidemiology of monastic diseases. <laughs> You're, you're more likely to get prostate problem, but less likely to have AIDS, for example. <laughs> <laughs> particularly relative to the hierarchy, um, a little discussion of obedience and the usefulness of obedience in spiritual practice, and particularly uh, what Thomas Merton voiced at one point, that obedience at, at a certain point, obedience for its own sake, becomes not useful in my understanding of what he said. So the relationship of hierarchy, authority, obedience. Last one, Jordan. There was a tendency in the discussions yesterday to stress the universal nature of the monastic experience. And that's a normal thing in ecumenical type gatherings. No one wants to offend anyone by talking about their own trip. And I'd like to actually see some of the speakers feel more free to talk about, more frankly, about what they see some of the differences between the different traditions and to talk about what is it that they personally really cherish about the particular tradition they've been in and, and the particular spiritual qualities it develops or whatever. So the, the, to be willing to address and speak frankly of the distinctions and differences in the tradition and what, what is cherished by monastics in their own particular form. I hope you brought your sleeping bags because this conference <laughs> will last for one more week. We'll have food imported. And, um, there, and they're wonderful questions. And, and yesterday in, our, in one of our afternoon small groups, 
I asked how many of you in this group would seriously consider ordaining for a year or here not just to talk about monasticism but are drawn at least if there were a temporary ordination for a year available or longer and the majority of people raised their hands uh, which was uh, some sense that I that was growing in me that from this group that it's really people who have both some questions perhaps but more than that some affinity and some real deep uh, connection or love among us for monastic life. I'm happy to say that I don't have to answer any of your questions right now. Instead, I will... <laughs> pass the... Thank you. Um, w- would you come in for just a moment? I'd like to introduce you, even though I've never met. <laughs> You've not met. You're... We met about nine years ago at the Association of Transpersonal Psychology. I took one of your workshops. <laughs> Honda Civic in the parking lot that has its lights on. And it may belong to one of you, or it may belong to one of us. We want to thank you for the use of the church today, really. Very glad to have you here. This is, you're serving God in a very beautiful way, and uh, this means a lot to us that you're here. We appreciate your work in this larger community. Um, so I don't know which of the two of you will be going first. Is that decided between you? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.